are you? And where are you going? What do you want? For the next 24 minutes, we're going to design and attain your ideal life. On the Way to Wow Show. Together, we'll find the ideal path to get you back on the track to success and happiness. On the Way to Wow Show with your host, Kevin Bemmel. Hola. Hello and welcome from eccentric Los Angeles. You know, it used to be that we knew who we were. You were going to become, you were going to do whatever your father did or whatever your mother did. Society said what our lives were going to be like. But that's not the case anymore. Each of us gets to carve his own identity. So we have a couple of guests on the Way to Wow show today who are going to help you do just that. Start answering the question, who am I? What is your relationship with God? So Dan made these for us. Thank you. This is a Negroni with mezcal. So why don't we mm. give that a, let's give this a taste, huh? Yes. Mm. To your health. A santé, no? Oh. Very nice. Very, very nice. Very nice. Really different. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Layers of flavor. Yeah, you definitely pick up the mezcal, the notes, the smokiness kind of rolls in. Mm -hmm. It's just quite nice. Italo Mexicano. <laughs> <laughs> Por supuesto. Por supuesto. Well, so <clears throat> for those of you who are wondering, what a uh, Christologist and a pneumatologist is, right? Did I get it right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> well, we haven't had quite that much Negroni yet. I have Father Guillermo Garcia here. Uh, a Christologist is someone who studies Christ, no? From Jesus to Christ. Yes. From Jesus to Christ. And a pneumatologist is someone who studies the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm, I made some notes about your background because it is so extensive, but I mean, it, it's, it, you have a more fascinating background than most military chaplains, and we travel all over the world. So, first of all, Guillermo spent 23 years as a member of the General Council in Belgium, six as the, as the Order's uh, General Superior. Mm -hmm. okay? He spent a great deal of time both in Europe and in Africa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo and in Gabon, and he taught in the Congo for 20 years, right? Well, I've, I've, I taught one year, and then I kept going back okay. uh, regularly for workshops. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, after that, he transferred here to Los Angeles to, to the here, Archdiocese here, and he was coordinator for Hispanic pastoral ministry programs at Mount St. Mary's at the time college. And you also work with disenfranchised Catholics, like Latino gay Catholics, et cetera? Yes, I try at least to, um, well, in my role as a, a university professor, I meet many people. And there are many people who are at least crying out for recognition in the church. And um, not just that, but they want to discuss the position that they might have. Um, a lot of also women who have left the church because uh, it is very much a... Um, patriarchal structure at the moment. 
So, you know, I try to, I try to invite everyone I can into the fold and into just talking about it because I think discussion is the only way to get going. So my, my first question really has to do with, you know, you talk to some people and they'll tell you, well, God and religion, they're just the same thing. And other people will say, well, no, no, there's God and, and then there's religion and, 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 and they're not the same thing. So mm -hmm. how, how do you come down on, on, the, on that issue? Well, I would say this much. There is God. Thank God. Um, and I think one of the things is that people often confuse um, the tools that God has given us to maintain our faith in God, our closeness to God, with God himself. So, in other words, I think religion is this. It, it is that bag of tools that we have, because of our culture, because of our upbringing, because of who we are, that helps us to uh, perhaps get nearer to God, get nearer to the ineffable. One of the two things, at least for, for uh, Roman Catholics and I think for all Christians and Jews, I think one of the first things is to love your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. You know, it's the heart of Judaism, it's the heart of Islam, it's the heart of Christianity. And the next that is there is to love your neighbor as yourself. And to love your neighbor with the same strength that you love your God. And um, that is not always easy. But there should be a community that surrounds the person who is trying to, to practice that, to live that, to encourage that. And, you know, sometimes there are people who just say to, to you, well, you know, I can, I can love God with all my heart, but this guy down the road who's hurt me so many <laughs> times, you know, I'd like to slap him in the face. And I say, wouldn't that be nice? I feel exactly the same way you do. And yet... I have to live by this thing that says, love your enemies. Do good to those who you know, hurt you. Right. The thing is, we get mixed up on what we choose to pick from there. And, excuse my saying, so we decide to throw it at people. And I know that many of us, because we came up in a patriarchal situation where our fathers, especially the Latinos, where our fathers were so... Um, at times, macho. And because they had to be macho, they could not hug their sons or kiss their sons. They could not um, show that they favored in any way their sons. They could love their daughters, but they also would put them behind bars to protect their virginity. But at a certain age, the boys could go out and do whatever they wanted to, but shame their fathers. The moment you brought shame to the family, that was the moment you were out. And I think sometimes that's why people are disenfranchised. So I become very, um, very eloquent about that at Mass and at other places where I preach because I feel that we need to love and we need to be loved too. And if you don't feel loved by God, if you don't have a relationship in some way or another with you know, the God who is holy. And you cannot feel that you are moving towards that holiness, you know. Mm -hmm. 
then um, you're not you're not getting the best of your faith, and I think that applies for all faiths. Exactly. You know. So, you you mentioned two things uh, that that I want to um, highlight. First is is that even as a member of the clergy, you struggle, and and I I do too. Right? People think, oh, well, you're a rabbi, so you got all this down. It's like, no, not really. Mm -hmm. I think, so I think it's important for people to understand that no matter where you're at in your journey and your relationship to God, there's, there's, it's, always, it's always challenging. You know, teaching the faith is not easy. Um, and some people, I mean, there, there are wide differences in what people think is the true faith and how it should be placed, um, as you well know. But there is room for everyone if people talk. And one of the problems we have now, at least in the Roman Catholic Church, is that people have stopped talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, is the role of, of religion, to support faith, to support love, to support caring for each other. And, you know, I would love to see that in every single religion. Um, anyway, that's my thought. Yeah. You know, and I got the high sign, but that's a great note to end on because I think that there's, there's a, a, a universality to that idea. Um, mm -hmm. I think you could say the same thing in, in synagogues and probably mosques yes. throughout the world. Right? And, and, among, and, and, and within or between other, you know, various denominations as well. Mm -hmm. Well. So I'm so sorry. I, I told you when we set up the interview, we could probably talk for an entire day, and, and it, it ended very quickly. But thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us here on, on Wow. Thank you so much also for having me. Welcome. In the dictionary under WizKid, you'll find a picture of my next guest. Rishi Sharma started as a high school student at Agoura High School in California recording the stories of World War II combat vets. And now, four years later, he's interviewed over 1,100 World War II combat vets. This is a young man who has found his passion in life. And we're fortunate to have him on the way to WOW today. Rishi, how are you doing? Great, uh, I hope you guys are well. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for making time. I think you've got another interview today, don't you? Well, yeah, I'm out, I'm out of retirement home right now interviewing a 98-year-old war hero who was wounded twice. He was an officer in the 442, which was the Japanese-American uh, outfit. It was actually the most decorated battalion of their size, but, you know, uh, he's white. He was a white officer, and so he's some amazing stories of of uh, a group of individuals who, you know, faced discrimination at home and s went to fight a war to prove that they, you know, are Americans and that they bleed red, white, and blue. Fantastic. So how did you come to make this your life's work? What, what was the spark? How, and how have you kept the spark going all these years? Yeah, I mean, everyone always expects there to be a story of, uh, like, when I was in middle school, I got on a bus and I didn't have fair and I sat next to this older man and he had a World War II hat and he paid my fare and I asked him what's that on his hat and we became best friends and but no <laughs> there's no story I, I just have always been interested in the war ever since I was a little kid uh, I just 
I, I distinctly remember, you know, watching Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, trying to read as many books on the war as I could find. There's something very unique about the generation that fought the Second World War, mainly in the fact that every day of their lives has been about helping those around them, whether it's in the Great Depression and they quit school to help put food on the table for their families or by changing their birth certificates or lying about their age uh, just to get into the service after Pearl Harbor was attacked and, or, you know, just getting drafted and going overseas and being willing to, you know, not run away to another country and instead fight for their country. And, you know, World War II was the worst war in the history of humanity, over 70 million dead, 420,000 Americans were killed. Uh, they come home and they didn't want a parade or celebrations. All they wanted was their old jobs back and to raise a family. And Tell us about a particularly meaningful moment in, in, in uh, over 1,100 interviews, I can imagine there's probably been quite a few, but is there, is there one that really stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's like comparing apples and oranges, you can't, I mean, they're, they're all unique and different. You know, I already have the requirement that the veterans who I focus on are combat veterans, so they all, you know, served in combat and risked their life, uh, and so there's not really uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're just different. I, there's, no, there's none that particularly are better than others. But, you know, I have interviewed veterans. I interviewed a veteran uh, who was running across the field and saw his twin brother get machine gunned and killed right next to him. And I, I, I interviewed a Medal of Honor recipient in Oregon who uh, landed on a grenade to save four men around him, and he survived miraculously. And, uh, I mean, they're all they're so... They're all the same breed, though. I mean, I really would like to make that point that these men, there's just, you know, whether it's the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, I've been fortunate enough to travel, and I continue to travel to all these different allied countries, and I was just amazed to learn that um, all, all these men, regardless of country or state, background, religion, economic status, they all have the same creed that they want to make the world a better place and that they were willing to risk their life and lives, and many of them who did sacrifice their lives so that people like us would not have to. And, uh, and so, I mean, all these are, you know, it would be cool if that was a unique story, but the fact is it's not. All these men sacrifice and give back in so many different ways that it's not even funny. It's it, to compare the World War II generation with my generation, uh, you can't even compare them, just the status that they're on and the things that they do, and not for recognition and not for any other reason than because it is the right thing to do. That's just the way they were brought up. That's the, the, just their moral compass is such a, it's just so straight and narrow. It's really uh, a testament to who they are and who we can become because we've fallen short of uh, the sacrifices that have been made for our way of life in, in the country currently. And, and, and that really is a standard that we ought to live up to in every walk of life. Eleanor Roosevelt had a very beautiful quote during the war that somewhere, somehow, a man died for me today. Oh, and I forgot the quote. It's a beautiful quote. Somewhere, somehow, oh... I think we I think we understand the sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. So you founded the um, 
uh, here is a second world war as your organization, and your goal is, I believe, to interview one combat vet a day until there's no more World War II combat vets left alive. So you, you must at this point have thousands upon thousands of hours of, of video of these veterans. What, what are your plans for that? What are you going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, at this point, my focus is really just to meet and interview as many World War II combat veterans as possible. Um, I created Heroes of the Second World War. It's a nonprofit, you know, to help fund my mission. Uh, we're looking for other volunteers to get involved and do interviews in their areas. We're always looking for volunteers. Uh, I would eventually like to be able to make a documentary series. I've, I've spoken to a few production companies about that, but I haven't really gotten anywhere. Um, I would really like to, to explore the possibility of what it would be like to have a camera crew follow me and show what it's like through a 22-year-old perspective to be able to hang out and not only meet but enjoy each other's companies of people who are 70, 80 years older and, you know, act as if you were school buddies. And so, I mean, I would like to create that TV series. I think that would be the goal. But also just having an archive of all this footage so that 200 years from now, the great-great-great-great-grandkids of these veterans won't just know their great-great-great-grandfather's name, but they'll get to know what kind of man he was, the way he spoke, the way he acted, the way he told his stories, his characteristics, his jokes, his emotions. I mean, we have this opportunity. It's not just another, I can't make it more clear that the things that I am doing, I'm not special in any way because everyone has a phone that has a camera on it. Everyone can document a piece of history they just took the time to go out and do it. I mean, whether it's visiting their grandparents or the neighbor that's a World War II veteran or at a retirement home. Well, Rishi, I just got the high sign from the director. Unfortunately, we're out of time because I think we could talk for a lot longer. And, and you have tremendous passion, and, and, and I respect that a lot. I really appreciate you coming and talking to us here on the way to WOW, and I wish you all the best of luck. Um, tell us your, just real quickly, tell us the name of your organization again so if people want to get more information, they can, they can go online and search it up. Yeah, I appreciate it. If anyone knows any World War II combat veterans or if they want to support what we're doing, it's Heroes of the Second World War. It's all spelled out, H-E-R-O-E-S of the Second, S-E-C-O-N-D, WorldWar.org. Okay. Rishi, thank you so much for being with us. Good luck with your project. Great. Would you like to say hi, Mr. Gustafson? This is the World War II hero I'm meeting today. Hi. Hello, sir. It's nice to meet you. They just wanted to say hi. <laughs> so, uh, you know, through the magic of the Internet, uh, we were able to look up that quote of, um, of Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. And, and this is it. Uh, Dear Lord, lest I continue my complacent way, Help me to remember that somewhere, somehow out there, a man died for me today. As, as long as there be war, I then must ask and answer, am I worth dying for? I think that's the question that Rishi is helping us to answer, isn't it? That's our show for this week. Stay tuned next week when my guest will be Dr. Barry Schwartz, the author of The Paradox of Choice, who's going to explain to us why with all this expanding number of options we have in life today, we don't seem to be getting any happier. 
Courage at all times, my friends. Marie, you're still my belle. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.